I'm sharing this morning. Uh, got a bit of paper, or several bits of paper. No batteries required in this stuff. So it's pretty old school. <laughs> yeah. There's obviously some boomers in the house. Great. <laughs> I almost wore my Eagles t-shirt, but I thought, no, that might be just a <laughs> bit over the top. Maybe tonight. Yeah. Uh, how many of you here have uh, done the Alpha course? Whoa. Man, I'm surprised. That's really cool. Well, you would have heard of uh, Nicky Gumbel then, having done the Alpha course. He was the man who, I guess, he couldn't really say created because God's a creator, but Nicky uh, developed the Alpha course. And at Alpha 2022, which was an online, international online conference earlier this year, Nicky Gumbel was interviewing a, a, a young American pastor called John Mark Comer. He's a guy I really rate. And uh, he's, uh, John Mark Comer is well known for a book uh, that he wrote called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Worth a read if you get a chance to read it. At any rate, in their discussion around the topic of discipleship, John Mark Comer said this, Tragically, much of Protestant theology has put the emphasis of salvation on the transaction at the beginning of a believer's journey, but not always on the transformation that takes place during the journey. I like to put it this way. We can be eager to get people into Christ, but be somewhat casual to explain to them what it is that they're actually getting themselves into. What does this journey of following Jesus really look like? How does it work out in our life? When I consider that question, one of my favourite memory verses comes to mind. It's in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Father, we are yours. And Father, you are ours. Abba, Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would move in our midst this morning to bring glory to your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. This particular verse, I can't think of any other verse in the New Testament that so concisely and clearly um, explains and defines what the life of a person is who like who follows Jesus Christ. It headlines the gospel message, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. It identifies a person's right response to the gospel message, faith. It explains the outcome of that faith in a person's life, Christ lives in me. And finally, it describes the work of the cross in the life of a follower of Jesus. 
I've been crucified with Christ, and it is I who no longer live. With this simple little verse, Paul, the apostle, summed up how he lived his life. And the title of my message comes from this passage this morning too. It is the life that I now live. So what was Paul's life really like? You know, what did we know about Paul's life? There's one passage in particular in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where he uh, recounts some of his experiences. I'll just read them out. Verses 24 to 28. Five times I received from the Lord 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've spent adrift at sea. I've been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers. I've been in labour and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Here was Paul, an apostle and champion of the Christian faith, sharing what his life journey had been like at times. Now this is not a particularly encouraging endorsement of what it can be like for the follower of Jesus. And you're probably not best to share this passage at Evangelistic Outreach where you're inviting some friends along to learn about Jesus because that sure to heck wouldn't be very good marketing at all. But it was the reality of Paul's life. Not every day, of course, but of a frequency enough to shape and direct the life that he lived. Now, we don't know what Paul's feelings were at the time going through all these different events. He doesn't share that, either here or in other... You get glimpses in other little passages in Scripture, but he doesn't share everything. How did these things affect his walk with Jesus? Did he ever have doubts or fears? Did he ever wonder if he was really on the right track? Did he ever ask Jesus, where are you in all of this? Most of us will never go through the actual experiences that Paul did. But we can and do go through equally distressing and challenging experiences in our life. These might be a family crisis, a workplace incident, a broken relationship, a very painful church experience, unfaithfulness within a marriage, and so on. Some can be sudden events, while others can develop over a period of time. Whichever way, these events, and many more like them, are the reality of our life journey for the Christian and non-Christian alike. But it's not the event itself that's the real issue here. It's the resulting impact that it has upon us. And more importantly, 
the impact that it has upon our soul. And by soul, I mean our mind, our thought life, not our brain, our thought life, our mind, our will, and our emotions. The soul, the, the heart of a person, the, the inner part of us that actually makes us tick. These events that we go through influence and impact that part of us. Now we can use numerous expressions to, to describe what it feels like at the time. It feels like being derailed, being stopped dead in our tracks, being knocked around, being knocked over, a, a feeling of being stuck, a feeling of being lost in this journey of life. We experience shock and most definitely confusion at that time. We wonder what is happening and why. We ask ourselves, where is Jesus in all of it? And perhaps even for those of us who are prepared to be honest, we wonder if Jesus is really interested anyhow. Ever been there? Oh, there's some emotionally honest people in the house. Welcome to the club. What I'm about to share uh, comes with the value of hindsight uh, because when it happened, I certainly didn't expect it and worse still, I didn't even know what to do with it. One morning, I was on my way to work. I popped down to the bedroom to say, hooray to Rhonda. And as a wife does, she sort of looks at you and have got this amazing knack have our dear wives of just being able to see right through the stuff. And she said to me, what's going on? And with that, I just collapsed to the floor, crying. Now here I was, a, a, a fit, healthy, 50-year-old guy, a Christian of around 18 years, lying on the floor, sobbing like a child. What was going on? There was something within me that just saw that little question that Rhonda asked that came to the surface that morning. Now, I had a job that I really enjoyed. It suited my skill set and experience, and it fitted with my strengths. Those of you who are into strength finders, this job I had fitted ideally into that. But it was my workplace and my position there and the responsibilities that came with that that were instrumental in what happened to me that morning. I had an issue in here that I'd lived with for a long time and that was one of around my, about my identity, who I was. Now it wasn't about my identity in Christ. I, I knew my identity in Christ and I was secure in that. And it certainly wasn't about my identity with the Father. I knew that he loved me and I accepted that. My issue was around my identity before other people. About how I felt others viewed and accepted me. And this had uh, developed in me over, over the years, dating right back to my formative years. And it was particularly influenced by my family of origin. 
Now, to deal with these feelings of insecurity, I developed two very unhealthy coping mechanisms, performance and perfectionism. I didn't consciously set out to develop them. They just sort of evolved in me as I grew. As I grew up through the teenage years into young adulthood, they, they developed in me, they, they evolved within me. And my life back then could best be described being like the donkey with a carrot dangled in front of it. No matter how hard I tried, I could never quite get there. I regularly felt that in the sight of others, I wasn't good enough. And my response to that was, I must try harder. I have to do better. Performance and perfectionism become so ingrained in me that they shaped who I was. I started to be aware of them in my early adult life, but never really considered them to be an issue. In fact, looking back, I viewed them as being good qualities to have. But when it came to my workplace, the tragedy of it all was that I transferred these same standards onto others that I worked with. And as a manager, I expected others to work to my standards, which were up there. And whenever they failed to live up to them, up to my expectations, what resulted was a build-up of frustration and annoyance in, within me. Being a performer, I functioned well outwardly, but inwardly it was beginning to take a toll on me. And that morning, it just became all too much to contain, that little question. It was like the, the straw that broke the camel's back. That morning I hit emotional overload. My soul and its ability to deal with all the stuff that was going on within me just maxed out. I was overwhelmed by it all. What happened? Well, I picked myself up off the floor and I went to work that day. Of course I did. I was a performer. That's what they do. And to do otherwise would have been a sign of weakness. But the outcome of that morning was that I become very much aware that something within me had to change. However, I wanted external solutions to my problems when what was really needed was a work within me by Jesus through his Holy Spirit. Have you ever noticed your prayer language at times when we're going through stuff like this? Where we pray, Lord, do this. Lord, fix that. Lord, change them. How often do we humbly pray, Lord, whatever you need to do, do it in me. Fix me. Change me. I sadly realised that what I lacked was the Lord's character within me, of being Christ-like in my work situation. 
I began to see that in my job it was really just all about me and my needs and what I wanted. And that all came out of my, my twisted thinking at the time and my feelings of insecurity and inferiority. So it was all focused around me. Little saying, no change equals no change, right? If there's no change, there's sure to heck ain't going to be any change in our lives. But change is, is scary. Having to let go of what uh, we've become so familiar with in our lives for such a long period of time is really, really scary. Resulting from that morning, I set about to walk a different journey. I committed myself to change, to open up to Jesus, to work his life and his character in me. However and wherever he needed to and by whatever means were necessary. I committed myself to that. And I'm still on that journey. And he's still doing that in me and that is still my prayer. How's this settling with everyone this morning? Is there sort of a bit of a strange silence? Yeah, there's a thumbs up. You know, I don't hear any big amen preach it, brother. What's going on? <laughs> now, I realize this uh, may be a little bit close to home for some of you. And perhaps a bit heavy. But I can't apologize. Because it's the reality of life. And it was my reality at the time too. But since we're, uh, <laughs> yeah, but since we're, we're speaking to Jesus, and just so that you know that my job did have some lighter moments, I'd like to share one with you that's quite appropriate. I worked with this Scotsman called Bill. He was quite a number of years older than me. In fact, I went right back to when I was an apprentice, an engineering apprentice. He was a welder. He'd learned his trade in the shipyards in the UK before he came to New Zealand. He was very, very good at what he did. And if I fast forward a period of maybe a decade and a half, and uh, I became a Christian. And as you do when you become a Christian, you tell everyone, right? Everyone, anyone you meet, you're telling them about Jesus. And I thought, I have to tell Bill, because Bill knew what I was like before, and he now saw something a bit different. And I was telling Bill, 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 Jesus is just like you and I. You know, he's a, he's a, he, was a he was a tradesman. Yeah, he was a carpenter. You know, just trying to get him familiar. He was a carpenter. And Bill sort of nodded his head like that. And then he leant forward and he said to me, but was he in the union? You never get an art, how, how to answer that from any of the, the books that you read about evangelizing people. Okay. Uh, in the Apostle Paul's early Christian years, he had a number of really supernatural experiences and a number of revelations that came to him. And we read about these in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And following on from those experiences, Paul wrote this, and this is in chapter 12, 7 to, 11, uh, 7 to 10 in 2 Corinthians. 
Paul's words. Because of the extraordinary greatness of the revelations, for this reason to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in distresses, in persecutions, in difficulties, in behalf of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Tradition suggests that Paul had some sort of physical affliction and from this passage we can see that Satan was hovering around reminding Paul of that, of that condition. The Lord said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. I wonder if the Lord's answer to his prayer request was what Paul had really hoped for. Ephesians 2.8, well-known passage. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. Scripture teaches that we start our journey with Jesus by faith in response to God's gift of grace. And, be, and, and I believe our journey is to continue the way that it started. It's very easy in our modern sophisticated Western churches to neglect these two underlying principles of discipleship, grace and faith. Paul wrote, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. There are many definitions of Christian faith. The one I like the most is that faith is implicit trust. 100% wholehearted, unconditional trust in Jesus Christ. Genuine trust that believes that Jesus is working his life in our life even though our circumstances may not reflect it. The reality of the life of the follower of Jesus is not just defined by what takes place out there but is also determined by what takes place in here. In fact, I would go so far as to be even more so by what takes place in here. From this morning's little passage, I've chosen to leave one part to the end. Paul commenced with it, but I'll con conclude with it. I've been crucified with Christ Now one, uh, how does that actually work in our life and what does it mean? One could preach a, a whole sermon just on those, that short phrase there. But for the sake of this morning, I'll try to summarise. This is more than our acknowledgement of the cross. This is about our identification with the cross. If we're to experience the fullness of the power of the resurrected Christ in us, then first there must be a death in us. That was the divine order in which it took place. 
first crucifixion and then resurrection. We can desire to know his power within us, but at the same time avoid or deny there needs to be a death in us. A death of those things that prevent his resurrection power from working in us, changing us, transforming us, and making us more Christ-like. Mark 8.34, another well-known passage. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Being a disciple, walking with Jesus to learn from Jesus, is not an easy task. It's not an easy journey at times. But he invites us to follow him for a purpose. And the purpose is this, that we might become like him. For those of you who are here today, who might identify with what I've shared, those whose life is not making a lot of sense at the moment, where it all seems just a wee bit too much, where you feel desperately stuck, or are perhaps wondering if Jesus is even really interested in you. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Although your circumstances may not reflect it, the Lord is active in your life. Because he loves you, and he gave himself for you, and he lives in you by his Holy Spirit. Do you trust him? Do you trust him wholeheartedly with your life journey? If so, this is his invitation to you. Come, follow me. uh, As I was preparing this during the week, this passage of scripture came to mind. And I'd like to finish with it. It's a blessing. And I believe um, it's for some of you who are here today. It's the Lord's words, his very own words. It's from Matthew 5 verses 3 to 12, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you, and persecute you, and lie about you, and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven.